I think it's interesting to think about as you look at your life and what do you really, really want out of your life? What are you really spending your time trying to achieve? When I think about what I would hope for in my life, what I desire more of in my life, I think of this list here. It's on the screen. You can put the next slide. Maybe. Thank you. And uh, what we see here, loving, patient, faithful, joyful, kind, gentle, peaceful, virtuous, content. Sounds like a good list, right? I mean, if I had those things, I think I'd be in a good shape. Am I right? Right? And I think what happens though is we, we kind of put our other things first, and then we go, well, maybe those will give me that. Right? If I have my bank account right, then I'll be content. Or if I have this, then I'll be peaceful. But I think these are actually more important. And how do we actually focus on receiving and living more in these? And so here's what I'd like you to do on your uh, bulletin outline. I'd like you to actually take it. There's a pen around you. Is Write down these words. Uh, there's a, some blank space around. And circle the ones where you go, you know what? This is what I'm already experiencing. I think I'm already you know, pretty loving and kind and gentle. And then underline. So go ahead and write on there in some space all these words. Loving, patient, faithful, joyful, kind, gentle. Circle the ones where you go, I think I'm there. I think I'm receiving that. I think I'm living in that. And then underline those ones you're like, man, I wish I could experience more of those. Does that make sense? And while you're doing that, I just want to introduce the fact that we're starting up a brand new series. If you don't know who I am, my name is John Crawl. I get to be the teaching pastor here. And uh, if you're joining us online via live stream uh, or listening later, thanks so much for taking the time to connect with us that way as well. And uh, today we're start kicking off a series called Step Up And. And step up, and the whole goal and intention behind this is to help us to walk together and encourage each other in where we can step up and grow up in our faith and our relationship with God. And today, we're going to start kind of laying the foundation of that. Everything else is going to kind of extend from this sense of who we are in God. And so today is step up and start now. And so what we're going to do is we're going to say, look, this is what we really want out of life. How do we receive that? How do we live in that? And if we're honest with ourselves, there's a lot, there are a lot of books and resources and speakers out there who talk about these things, am I right? I mean, you can go and you can find resources on how do I be more loving? How do I be more patient? How do I do this and do that? And, and let's be honest, this isn't just my list, is it? This, this list actually comes from Galatians uh, chapter 5. These are the fruits of the Spirit, all right? So I stole these, but I'm giving credit where credit's due. So these are the things that I'm hoping for in my life, but really, these are the things that God is saying, look, these are the fruits of the Spirit. As a believer, this is what happens in your life. You become loving and patient and faithful and joyful and kind and gentle. When we read all those things, let's be honest, those are good for the people around us, am I right? I mean, it's a lot better for the people around me if I'm patient and joyful and all that. But these are really selfish, aren't they? Those are really good gifts that God gives me. I mean, if I'm more patient and I'm more kind and I'm more virtuous, I'm more content, it's better for me, all right? That's a much better life for me. And so what we're going to do is we're going to say, you know what, instead of reading all these other books and trying to figure out all these other ways of trying to receive these things, trying to live in these things, trying to have more of these things in our life, let's go to the book, right? We're going to go to the book, and we're going to look at John chapter 15. Uh, so if you have the chair Bibles in front of you, it's on page 901. If you have your uh, uh, Bible app on your phone, if you're joining us on live stream, you can go to BibleGateway.com. We're looking at the English Standard Version, ESV, and it's John chapter 15. It's on 901. What we're going to do is we're going to take a look at a time when Jesus was sharing with his disciples. And this is a time, uh, during the time of the last week of his life on earth, right? When he was going towards the cross, basically. The next day he would be crucified. And he's kind of leaving them with lasting words. Like, this is my hopes and dreams for you as my 
followers, as my friends. So we're going to read this, and we're going to see what is it that God would say is the way that we receive and we get to live in and experience more of these fruits, these good things that we have in our lives. We start in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may be bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it, it, it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, than someone lay his life down for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the, servants does not, the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide." So that where, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious to see why we would take a look at this set of verses as we try to discover how do we get to experience and live in more of the fruits of the Spirit? How do we get to experience more of those, right? Jesus is literally laying out, here's how to be fruitful. Here's what, here's what it takes. Here's what you need to do. And what I love is it is so grace-filled. And I think there's two different ways of reading this text. One is, is very law-based, right? You need to do this, you need to do this, you need to love each other, you need to be that joyful, you need to be this way, you need to abide in me. And we see it as a command. But I think there's another way to read it as an invitation. And I hope you even heard it in my tone today as we read those words. There's so much invitation. There's so much graciousness in this. If you read the chapter even before this, Jesus is just unpacking so much grace and love and compassion on his followers. Can you imagine they're about to go into one of the darkest and scariest times where they're going to see their Jesus, their Lord, the one they've been following, hung on a cross. And they're going to be confused. So he's laying this foundation for them. So I think it's really important that we kind of go through these, uh, these texts together that break this down and see what we're talking about here and what Jesus is really trying to share with us. Because I think our natural tendency is to hear commands and demands from us when so often Jesus is really inviting us. So we read uh, verse number one, right? Verse one, we see Jesus kind of laying out who is who in the text. We have the true vine and the vine dresser. I think it's really important to see that Jesus doesn't just say, I am the vine. He says that later, but in this first verse, he says, I am the true vine. Now, just to lay a little history to this, uh, you know, most of his followers were Jewish before they followed Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus was Jewish. So what he was calling on here was the fact that throughout the history of God's people, the Israelites, they were known as God's vine. And so what he was calling out here is that 
for so long they saw their connection to God was being a part of the people of Israel. And let me tell you, being a vine for Israel was huge. It was actually printed on their currency. The vine, uh, a vine was a part of the entrance to the temple for them. This was a huge part of their identity. And here Jesus is a smashing and going, well, I'm the true vine. If you think that you're, you're connected to God just because you happen to be in this, uh, this race or this ethnicity, that, that's not it. And it's what he says, I'm the true vine. See, that vine, they didn't follow through. They didn't actually live out what God had called them to do. They weren't the vine producing the branches that God had called them to be. I'm the true vine. But what I think is even more important here is that the father is the vine dresser. So that's the gardener. It's really intriguing to me. I mean, again, so often when we read scripture, we like to take this very authoritative approach and voice to God. But here Jesus, Jesus himself, is portraying God the Father, the one that created everything, the one that still sustains all of life. Without him, we would all perish. He is portraying him as a gardener, the one who actually gets down with his hands in the dirt and cares for the vine and the branches. Man, how intriguing is that, that the Father, the one who is all-powerful and almighty, would care that much about us? to tend to us in that way. And we see that as we look at verse 2, right? We see this idea that the vine dresser, what he does is he takes away the vines that aren't fruitful and he prunes the ones that are fruitful. And the pruning, we can understand that one, can't we? We get the idea of pruning so often, we go, okay, God, you're cutting something else off. <laughs> you're clearing that off. Oh, that kind of hurts a little bit, but I know it's for my good. Right? We get the idea of pruning, right? It's where God is continuing to take the stuff off of us that really isn't being helpful. It's really just draining our energy and resources instead of allowing us to produce the fruits that he wants for us. And this is vital to what we're talking about today because God is the one acting here, right? He's the one pruning away from us the things that aren't helping us to receive, to live in, to experience all those fruits we talked about at the beginning. The challenge, I think, is the part right before it where it says the ones that don't bear fruit, he takes away. And the word um, arrow there, it's uh, the Greek word, it's a verb, uh, it can mean take away. It can also mean to lift up. And at that time, when Jesus was talking to them, they probably were passing by a vineyard. And at that time, what was happening was a lot of pruning. But it was also a time where the gardeners, the vine dressers, would go and they would see those vines, that, uh, those branches that had yet to produce fruit and they would take them away from the ground. They would lift them up off the ground and put them on a rock or put them on a little trellis to get them out of the muck and the mire and the dirt to help give them an opportunity to produce fruit. Again, is it true that God will remove branches from Christ that aren't really branches, that aren't really producing fruit? Well, yeah, I mean, if you're not really a Christian, you're not really in Christ. And yeah, that's true, you'll get removed. But I mean, I think this verse, at least, this verse is really getting at the idea that our God has a desire for you to produce fruit, has a desire for you to live in this reality, this fruit that he wants for you, this hope and this joy and this peace and this patience, this contentment, this self-control. He wants that for you. And so he prunes those who are producing fruit and the ones that aren't. And maybe you're in that season where you just feel like you weren't. And you read this and you go, oh, here, here God is, he's gonna cast me away. But instead, the Father gets down and he lifts you up, takes you out of the dirt and the muck and the mire of life, the things that have been drowning out the fruits of the Spirit that he wants for you. And he props you up and he gives you a chance to receive that fruit. That's what we would hope for here. That's what we would hope for you as you come to church, as you get in Bible studies, you do these things, that that's an opportunity for the Father to lift you up. 
And I don't think it's too far-fetched to read it this way because as we look at the very next set of verses in the next slide, we see Jesus giving more grace. You are already clean because of the words I'm telling you. Right? He's not saying, here, do more and do more, do more. Fix yourself, get better, get clean. He's saying, look, you're already clean. Grace, 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 all throughout this. Right? You can't bear fruit unless you're a part of me. Just abide in me, be with me. So what I would say is, instead of this idea that I need to go after more and try harder and do more in order to receive the fruits of the Spirit, I think the bigger challenge is just to be who you are. Jesus is telling you, you're, you're the branches of the vine. You're the branches of the vine of life, the one who has everything, coursing through him, everything good comes through him. So be those things. Be who he has made you to be. You are already clean because of the word that he has spoken to you. Be that. Be clean. Be renewed. Be made new. Be claimed by him. Experience the fruits that he wants you to experience. Be pruned by him. Be lifted up by him. You are, so be. And it's so, it is so true as we look at the next verse and we see on the next slide, right? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And maybe you're sitting there going, man, I've asked for things and I've not gotten it. All right? We've all been there, but let's be honest. What he's saying, if you're abiding in me, you're of me, you're with me, you're in me, right? Abiding is so much more powerful than just being around somebody. If we're truly abiding in Christ, guess what? Our heart, our thoughts, our desires, our prayers are going to be the things that God wants for us. They're going to be his thoughts and his prayers and his desires so again, you are, you are a branch of the vine. So pray as a branch of the vine. Pray as one who is abiding in Christ. Because when you do, guess what? You receive everything asked. That's what he's going after here over and over again. He's calling you to abide with him. As we look at the next set of verses, it's exactly that, right? To remain in him, to be with him. That's how the Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. I think verse 8 is pivotal to this. And I think it's one that we just read over really quickly and we go, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Because we read it as law. We read it as an opportunity. You better bear much fruit so you can prove to be my disciples and then you'll glorify God. Let me just clue you in on something. God, the one who said, let there be, and it was, doesn't need you to glorify him in order for him to be glorified. God is glorified because he's God, right? He is God. He doesn't need you to do these things so that he goes, oh, I feel better now, right? I was getting worried if I was really God or not, but now they're doing fruits. Now I can feel better, right? But how often do we read it that way? God doesn't need that from you. He's saying, this is what I want for you. This is how I want to be glorified. Why? Because when you live in those ways, when you live full of peace and contentment and joy, people around you are going to go, man, something's different about you. And you go, yeah, I glorify God. I give him all the credit. And they go, oh, man, how do you, how do, you do this? Well, I'm proven to be one of Christ's disciples. Just the reality of being one of his disciples, the reality of living in, as a branch of the vine, this is just who I am, this is what happens. This is what God produces in me. When you realize that the fruits of the Spirit are of the Spirit, not of John, you realize it's a gift that he gives us that overflows from the reality of who we are in him. 
And so the question is, is how do you then abide? How do you abide in Jesus, in his love, in his joy, his peace, his patience, his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, all those things from Galatians 5, right? Because Jesus already owns all those things. He is all of those things. So how do you abide in those? How do you receive more of those? Because I know we can all look at our lives and go, man, I, I don't have patience right now. <laughs> i got three little boys at home. Patience is <laughs> not happening all the time, Right? So how? How? He says, abide in him. Abide in him. Well, how do you abide in him? Well, you know him. You abide in him by knowing him. Because when you know him, you know how he would handle things. You know how he would live, how he would react. This isn't a, a, this isn't a got to, this is a get to, right? This isn't something you have to do. This is something that like, I want to know God. I want to know who he is. I want to know Jesus and how he would act and how he would handle these things and how he receives more peace and how more, more joy, more contentment. How does he get that? I can tell you, every time I prepare a message, every time, and there are some of these texts I have read, I don't hundreds if not thousands of times, and I read it again, and I go, I've been wrong the whole time, right? This is one of them where it's so easy to read it with law, and then you read it again and again and again, and you hear the heart of the Savior who says, abide in me, know me, be with me. And here, here's what the challenge would be for us. Here's what really challenged me as I dove into this text this week. is that the way that we experience more of these things, the way that we change our present, is that our presence influences our present. Say that again, our presence influences our present. So we think about our life and what we're presently experiencing, and you know, I don't have enough joy, I don't have enough patience, I don't have enough of this. I would challenge us, where are we placing our presence? Where are we really fully present? Where are we putting our energy and our resources and our time and our energy and pouring into, I, I, I want to be present here and I want to do well here. I mean, if we think about it, so often what we say we want, right? We want to be present with God, but really we're more present with work. Or really we're more present with being parent of the year and taking our kid to five million and two other things. Right? Or we're present over here and trying to make people like us. Or a present over here and trying to win others over who maybe really just don't matter if they, what they think of us. I want you to think about where is it that you're putting your presence and how is it affecting your present reality? This is something I've struggled with my whole life as I think back to even early on in my ministry and family career. Right? In, my, in my ministry, I so often would put and still struggle right, putting my presence into what other people think especially what they think about my job and how well I'm doing and being a minister and, share and loving them and being there for them and supporting them. On my family side, I spent too much time being fully present in our financial side of things and worried about leading my family in there, and so I would get so stressed out about every penny spent and everything that was happening, and I never actually enjoyed the things that we were spending those pennies on. I mean, I think back to work life and how hard it was. One of the churches that I worked at, my boss, I just couldn't do anything to please him. I would try so hard. Why? Because my presence was in his acceptance of me and his approval of me. That's putting my presence there. And over and over again, I let him down. Over and over again. It doesn't matter how hard I worked. It doesn't matter what I did. He, he always would say, he'd say, I don't care how, how long you work, how many hours you work, as long as you get the job done. Here's the secret of ministry. It's never done. So I would work, and I would work, and I would work, and guess what? He would still have more to do, and more things that I wasn't meeting, and more things that I needed to try harder on, and I was killing myself, working all these hours. 
I still remember one of, the, one of these times where I had one of the families call me. It was midnight. And the dad was out of town, and the mom was calling me, and she was in tears. Her teenage son was, well, a teenager, and made some poor choices and ended up getting himself locked up. And she said, can you come with me and help bail him out? I said, of course. So I drive over to the jail, and I go through this experience I've never been through before, sitting in a bail bondsman's office. It's weird, let me tell you. Um, and go through this whole experience with them, help to bail him out, connect with him, yell at him, pray with him, love him, all that good stuff. And I get to work the next day, and I'm just, man, I'm feeling good, right? Man, here I am. I went above and beyond for our families. I went above and beyond for our church because I love it so much, and it was so good to be able to be there with them. And the first things out of his mouth were the five things that I did wrong. First, first thing out of his mouth from my boss that I just kept putting my presence into was, you shouldn't have bailed him out. You shouldn't have agreed with the mom. You should have let him sit in there. You shouldn't have helped her there. You should have counseled her different. You should have done different. You should have handled it this way and that way. And here's all the ways that you messed up. And let me tell you, it crushed me. But if I'm real honest, and at the time, you know what I would say is that it crushed me and it was his fault because he was a jerk and this was what he did and it was poor leadership and poor management. He was a poor pastor. This, I get through all that there, but let's be honest. It was really my fault that it crushed me. It was my fault because I put my presence into him, right? And so he could control my present reality. Turn left, turn right, turn this way, turn that way, have joy, have disaster, have hope, have no hope, have this, have that. I put my presence into him. And what my challenge would be to you would be this, where are you putting your presence? Because where you put your presence, it's going to influence your present reality and how much of these gifts, these fruits that God is calling for you to experience. If you put your hope in work, guess what? Depends what your boss thinks of you that day of how you're going to feel and what your present reality is. If you put your presence into your finances, it depends on how the stock market's doing or how your bank account's looking, of what your present reality is going to feel like. If you put your hope into others, it's going to depend what they look at you that way, uh, how they look at you that day, and what's going on with, with their relationship with you. And I don't know who that might be. It might be your in-laws. It might be your friends. It might be your coworkers. It might be your neighbors. It might be, uh, I, I mean, one of the most judgmental things is like other, like your, your kids' friends' parents. Oh, you don't have them in 10 things? I have my kid in 12 things. Why don't you have your kid in 10 things? You must not love him, Right? And how often do we spend so much time trying to win their approval and go, oh man, I better get them in more things. Why does that matter? But that's what happens. We put our presence into them and it affects our present reality. So here's what I would challenge us with today. is to abide in Jesus, abide in all that he is. And to know him by being in his presence. To put your presence into his presence. And here's the greatest news of all. Our God is present in his word. You carry around God's presence with you wherever you go. If you have the Bible app on your phone, you have God's presence with you. Currently, right now, you're holding about this is God in your hands. He has revealed everything that we need to know of himself in here. I mean, the Bible clearly says everything you want to know is not in here. But everything you need to know is. Everything. And so if you wonder how, how can I be more in God's presence? How can I really abide in him? Put your presence into his presence. 
Know him, understand him, hear his words to you, hear the experiences he wants you to have. And this isn't just a plug for Bible study, but let's be honest, that's one of the best places you could go. I mean, you can spend time, and you need to spend time on your own and, and thinking and praying, but let's be honest, to be fully present in anything these days is very difficult, am I right? It's very difficult to be fully present in anything we're doing. I know this because I struggle with it in my own life, but I also see it like in my kids, so uh, our youngest, our three-year-old, um, is just learning potty training. He's a little behind. He had wanted nothing to do with it forever, right? It was like, go on the potty. No. How do you work with that? I'll give you candy. No. Cookies. No. Parties. No. Toys. No. Didn't matter, right? Didn't matter. <laughs> and so finally last week, he was telling me, he was like, I want to go on the potty. Woo. If parents, you know the potty dance, you're like, woo! Whatever. <laughs> you do whatever you can to encourage that kid to go on the potty because you don't have to buy diapers anymore. And so um, he goes in, goes in the bathroom, gets up on a stool, and then I just hear him cry. And I go, oh, no. I mean, he's a boy, so the fact that he could hurt himself doing literally anything is understandable. But I'm, I go, what happened? And through his tears, I hear him go, I missed And my oldest, of course, wanting to be the detective, runs in there and goes, he hit the wall! <laughs> Just going to point out, our toilets are plenty big for my three-year-old to be able to get in the toilet. So if he cannot be fully present enough to make that happen, I know darn, darn sure that all of us have trouble being fully present things. Am I right? <laughs> right? We all struggle with this idea of being fully present. So to have people that can surround us, that can walk with us through this, and Diane has done an incredible job, has just awesome people. Like, like she said, even Tim and I are going to teach a class in October because we finally have enough staff that there are things that we used to have to do we don't have to do, so we get to actually be pastors now. It's amazing. And we get to teach a class and walk with you through it because we see the need for this in, in our lives, not just yours, in our lives too, because we want to be more present in his presence. And that's how it's going to happen is diving into this and diving into it together and walking through what God wants for more of your life, but most importantly, who God is. And as you place his presence into his presence, what that will do for you. And if you start to think that it's anything about who you are, or what you do, if we go back to our text, if we go back to verse 13 to 15, what does it talk about? Greater love is no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. What does Jesus do? Jesus makes the first move. Jesus lays down his life for his friends. He loves you in an incredible way. He calls you his friends. He makes it clear that this is what he wants for you. He wants love and he wants relationship. He wants you to know him and he's going to do everything he can to make that possible. And maybe you'll get caught up in going, yeah, but I've got to choose him. I've got to make this choice first. Let's, let's look at the next verses, right? The last set of verses, you did not choose me, but I chose you. He's very clear. Don't you dare get caught up in thinking that there's some work you need to do to win him over. He has already chosen you. You're already chosen and loved by him that you should go and bear much fruit. This is an invitation, not a demand. This is him saying, be the ones that I have chosen. Be the, the branches on the vine that produce fruit. Be the ones that allow me to lift them up and to prune them. And to call them to this fruit to give them a chance to experience this fruit in their lives. This is what I want for you. And today, as we kick off this sermon series, that's what I'm going to call for all of us to do, is to step up and start now. Start now getting into God's Word, getting into who He is, living out this life that He has for us. This is what our God wants for you. 
He's not asking more from you. He's asking more for you, that you would be in his presence, that you would be living in all that he is and all that he has and all that he desires for you. And all those things that you've underlined, he wants to give to you. He wants you to receive it. He wants to lift you up out of the dirt and the muck and the mire of this world. He wants to give you a chance to receive that fruit that he has for you. He wants to prune off those things that you've been looking at and putting your presence into for far too long. And instead, putting your presence into him so you can experience this fruit for yourself. This is what our God has for you. This is what he desires of you. This is what I pray all of our lives continue to look more and more like each and every day. So let's step up and let's start now. Amen? Amen. And our God is so good that he has given us a meal that we can enjoy and we can receive together. A meal that we receive, a, a real piece of him so that we, when we think about this abiding and being in his presence, we actually are taking him into ourselves, receiving every bit of him into us. That it may make it easier as we're forgiven and our faiths are restored and strengthened to put our presence into his presence. Let's pray and prepare our hearts to receive this meal. Father God, we thank you so much that you are a God who li listens to us, that hears us, that walks with us day in and day out. God, God, there's nothing that we can hide from you, God. You know every sin, every struggle we have, every idol we have placed our presence into, all those things that we continue to, to strive for and to reach for that are not of you, God. Right now, God, we ask you to hear, hear those confessions, hear those things that we've been carrying around with us for far too long. God, hear them now and take them. Take these burdens from us, prune them off of us, that we would be more and more as the branches of you. Father, thank you for hearing us. Thank you for being a gardener who wants to reach down and to be with us in our lives. God, that you would hear our, our trials and our troubles, things that we take on ourselves, things that are sins. God, you have taken them away from us. God, thank you for relieving us of those burdens. Thank you for your forgiveness for your son, Jesus' sake, who died for his friends to make us your own, claimed and loved and renewed in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Receive that forgiveness today and always. Our God has forgiven you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.